0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Joe Barlow is not here, so I get to be Joe Barlow. What does Joe say every morning? Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. Uh, today and this series, as you see on the screen, we're talking about the power of a father. Man, he's meddling with our our business, Phil. Talking about our dads. I know. That's too personal. I'm
1: up in your space. Up
0: in my space, man. Talking about our dads. But uh, we met Tuesday night at Two-Gun Tactical. Uh, Ricky here uh, hosted us and fed us. And, man, it was good. Uh, it was good. I told him I'm going to put him out of business soon. I'm going to open Three-Gun Tactical to compete with Two-Gun Tactical. But he's not worried because they're opening a new location in Ridgeland. When? Right around the corner. Right around the corner in about a couple months. In the year. In the year. In, by the end of this year. So you go out there and shoot responsibly, learn how to handle a gun responsibly. Speaking of <clears throat> learning how to handle things responsibly, uh, you know, Joe, he's on the, on the video feed right now, so he's hearing me talk. But one of the things he mentioned is that, you know, and Phil talked about Tuesday night, is we place a lot of expectations on things that are not meant to do what they do. And so let me explain. Uh, it's very common for us to get a little frustrated and upset that the relationship we have with our wives or our spouses or whoever we're dating does not fulfill everything we need, right? We see that in movies, right? The romantic movie comes out and they meet their soulmate, soulmate, Lord help us, soulmate, and then everything is fine. And that is just not the way life works. Not that a soulmate or a person, your wife, is not very important and you become one, like we learned, as you get married, but there is something missing when a man is not in a community of men. And I tell you, we're learning that. You step in Thursday morning and uh, you kind of sense some of that and you have an opportunity to go to things like Tuesday night and you just sit with other men. Sometimes it's just listening. Sometimes it's speaking. But you start to realize that that community of men has gone back to ancient, ancient times, right? And so that's what we're talking about is that that particularly your father. And I'll tell you something I shared last Tuesday night was um, I I was at deer camp, which is a beautiful time to kind of hear other men's stories and feel where your mind is a little crazy because you think about your own stuff and you hear other body's stuff. You're like, wow, I needed to hear that. but um, I remember, speaking about my father, just having this resentment, man. This Like, he wasn't perfect. He should have done more. My dad should have done more. He should have done more. Like, I see these other dads doing this, and one thing, worry about money. You know, like, why, Dad, why? And then I realized, you know what? Uh, I'm just mad that my father was imperfect. And I realized that's pretty silly. So I wrote him a letter, and I won't share it here, but I'll, if you go to deer camp, I will. Um, when I'm there, is I just wrote him a letter and honored him. And I said, thank you, Dad, because there was there a was hundred good things to like one or two bad things, and that's when they talk about honor your parents. Amen. The way I did that is I just wrote him a letter and I said, thanks be to God that you were my father, because mm-hmm. I've seen situations that... Would have taken me out when men were not there, or they hurt their sons. And you, holy cow! I had perspective it was wrong, so I, I let go of that resentment. And I, and I see it even in my own children sometimes, where they're like, I'm, "I had to talk to them." It's like I'm, I'm not perfect, and I've not done some things I should have done. Right? I, I, sh- I should have been there better, and I and I admit that, and I'm going to continue to work there and, and be and grow and grow and grow but um, I'm not perfect, and I'm sorry, you know? And, and it's just a natural thing we do with our dads, Phil, you know, where we say, they should've, they should've. And you know, in an extreme example, maybe your dad just gave you life. Can you thank God for that? And he disappeared after that. There are men in this room where their dad gave him life and that was it, nothing else. Can you, can you offer a prayer to God and say, at least thank you for that, that I'm alive. You know, he didn't do anything else, but but I'm here, right? And so i offer you that to, to think about as as Phil shares this morning of like, um, of just, you know, you change, like Phil will share maybe did Tuesday night is that that relationship that we expect perfection from our fathers from God alone. And other men can kind of share in that a little bit. God lets other men share in his perfect fatherness in a mystery that we'll never understand. But God is that perfection that we are upset that doesn't exist in our heavenly, in our, in our earthly fathers. And so we got to get that right. We got to get that right. And I'll share this, something from the great philosopher Ernest Hemingway. He said, there is nothing noble in being superior to fellow men. That's a trap. And we have pride and say, I'm better than this guy. No, we're not. No, we're not. I'm not better than anybody in this room. And I'll never be, no matter what I do. He said, true nobility lies into being superior to your former self. So the only thing we compare ourselves to is not other men. What they have, what we've done our fathers, what they have, all that. Who's the man? The man is, is you being more Christ-like in time. That's the man. And, and Jesus is the man. That's the man. If you want an example of who's the man, Jesus is the man. And the only thing we can say is, I'm, I'm growing because of the grace of God from who I was. And that's it. And so that's what we're talking about. Does that, does that sound about right? Amen. Amen. All right, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father. Thank you for today. Thank you for the men that are in this room. Thank you for the men that are here for the first time. I know we have a few men here for the first time and we invite you into just sitting with us, growing with us, um, letting God be present in a way that is is unique when a group of men gather together. And we don't deserve that. Sometimes we're scared of that. Sometimes we avoid that. But we wanna grow in a community of men. We wanna learn what it means to be a man. To be a father. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your son. Thank you for this time. Bless Phil with his his talk today. Mm -hmm. It's your son's name. We pray. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good time, gentlemen.
1: (laughs) 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 Morning, gentlemen. Great to be back uh, with you. I appreciate uh, Roan pinch hitting for me as he comes in, uh, did a great job last week. Um, um I was, uh, enjoying spring break for the most of the week in, uh, Fairhope. It was cold in Fairhope last week. So I, if you went to the beach for spring break, God bless you. Probably froze to death down there. Sweatshirt sitting on the beach. Um, but, uh, you know, just to, just to tell you, uh, just to try to, um, indicate just how exciting it is with the uh, new improvements that we're making at Ebenezer Place. Carla Hardin spent the night at Ebenezer Place last Wednesday night. How about it?
0: How about it?
1: How about them apples? Uh, my sister uh, Judy and brother-in-law drove down from Tennessee and met us at Ebenezer Place and we spent uh, Wednesday night uh, there, and then um, drove to Fairhope on um, Thursday morning. But I, I mentioned that as well, just to kind of do a little a little show and tell here. Uh, my sister uh, brought me uh, some pieces, and uh, this is my uh, dad's uh, uh, paraphernalia uh, here in the shadow box, the flag that they gave us at the funeral, and. December, and then some of his uh, pictures and medals and all that. So very proud of that and uh, excited to just kind of do show and tell. And I know that many of you have have those sorts of things, but uh, proud of my daddy. Um, Proud of my daddy. Amen. Amen. So so in keeping uh, with that theme and the theme that, that we're going through, the power of a father, I have a song that's just an incredibly beautiful song. Um, some of you have seen this "Fall on Me" by Andrea uh, Bocelli and Mattei, uh, his son, and the song is, is such a powerful picture of uh, this the struggle between um, losing a life and celebrating a life. There, there's a there's a kind of emptiness and a yearning, an asking and a need being expressed in this song. And it's so much about our relationship with our dad. And it just makes it that much more powerful when we see uh, a father and a son singing the song. So let me just share a a few words with you. We'll listen to the song. Follow with me. The Words are there on, on your handout. I thought sooner or later the lights up above will come down in circles and guide me to love, but I don't know what's right for me. I cannot see straight. I've been here too long and I don't want to wait for it. Fly like a cannonball straight to my soul, tear me to pieces and make me feel whole. I'm willing to fight for it and carry this weight. But with every step, I keep questioning what is true. Fall on me, Daddy. With open arms, fall on me, Abba, Father. From where you are, fall on me with all your light, with all your light, with all your light. This could be a cry out to God. This could be a cry for our fathers to come and give us that which we long for. May you hear the voice of God and may, open his, may he open our hearts to what he has for us this morning. Fall on me. I thought sooner.
2: Come down in circles and God made to love But I don't know what's right for me I cannot see straight I've been here too long And I don't wanna wait for it Fly like a cannonball straight to my soul Tear me to pieces and make me feel whole I'm willing to fight for it And carry this weight But with every step I keep questioning What is true avrà senso per te, vorrei che credessi in te stesso, ma sì, in ogni passo che muoverai qui, è un viaggio infinito, sorriderò se nel tempo che fugge mi porti con te.
1: Amen, 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 amen. fall on me. May the Father's love uh, flood us. Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Let's continue in our series. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. The power of a father. As men in a culture under attack, we need an understanding of mature masculinity, a vision and direction we can pursue with our sons and daughters. We need tools, methods, and ideas to help us become godly men and from which to equip our sons and daughters. uh, We need to grow up. And we're using Jacob um, as a model as a case more as a case study than a model in a sense. Jacob the patriarch of Israel, the father of a nation is a troubling character in the Old Testament. He is so much like us with every human strengths and weakness, with very human strengths and weaknesses, but a man with a striving for spiritual things. From this imperfect man, we learn important lessons of faith. Especially we learn about God's grace time to engage, enjoy the adventure. Doesn't it amaze you that all through Scripture, God continues to use imperfect men to point us toward his redeeming story? That that is an amazing, amazing principle that encourages me. If God can use that guy, then he can use me. He can use you. So pick up your pen, let's go to work. I've got three questions for you. Let's do some journaling, as we always do. Gotta be journaling, gotta be working with your pen, pen to paper. First question I would ask you, what does a man believe? What comes to your mind, what would you write down? What does a man believe? What does a man, Believe. What does a man believe? If your eight-year-old said to you, your eight-year-old grandson or your eight-year-old son, like Steele uh, said to you, Daddy, what does a man believe? What would you say? I mean, obviously, there's hundreds of things that we could write, right? I'd offer you four this morning. You can jot these down. That God is the source of life. God is the source. I have no hope without God. I believe a man believes I am a beloved son. We need to believe that, gentlemen. In other words, we are all unique and special. And prayerfully, your daddy told you that, and you believed that when you were in the sixth grade, and in high school, and graduated from high school. When you drove off to college, he gave you that blessing. You're my beloved son. I'm so proud of you. And for those of us who never heard those words, literally, I mean, you know, it's kind of like I'm one of those sons that can say, "I knew my dad loved me, but he never said it." And that that still creates a wound, you know. I, you know, I understand my dad; he was one of those World War II non-talkers. But it still creates a wound because we need to hear that. Um. I believe a man believes this. I need others. I need to be on a team of other men. Some of you, when you first started coming here, you didn't believe that. Some of you in this room probably still don't believe that. But many of us have understood much more clearly that life is a team and I need to be able to identify my three guys, me and three others. A life team is four guys. Basketball team's five, baseball team is nine, football team is 11, a life team is four, you and three others. And then, I believe a man believes that I need a journey. That I need to be on a on a path, on a journey, like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, leaving the city of destruction on his way to the celestial city and bumping into good guys and bad guys and having to figure out who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. That's Pilgrim's Progress. Second most printed book, in all of bookdom, uh, second only to the Bible. But we need, we need a journey. <clears throat> we need a process. That's what a man believes. Second question that I would ask you. Second question. What's a man's greatest responsibility? What would you write down? What, what's your greatest responsibility today? What's your greatest responsibility today? What would you write down? Your golf clubs? You know, your fishing pole? You know, that car out there? I know guys that would say stuff like that. You know, we're kind of chuckling. We're kind of laughing. It ain't funny when you're sitting in a counseling session and that's, actually being talked about that i value my job my car my golf club my fishing pole more than the person sitting next to the other i mean certainly i mean i i would think that that is probably the easiest question that you'll be asked today what's your greatest responsibility? Here's your family. I mean, scripture says in, in Timothy that a man who does not take care of his family is worse than a pagan or an infidel. There's nothing worser. There's nothing worser than a man who will not take care of his family. And, and our, our families give us the most joy and they create the most tension and 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 there's many men in this room who who have had heartache and headache because of families and there are divorced men in this room and men who have been married for over 50 years in this room i mean we're all over the place we're just a bunch of broken guys on a journey trying to figure it out and we've all failed there's no rock throwing going on in here but you know what the most important moment of your life is this one, this one. What are you going to do from this day forward? You know, I look over my shoulder in my rearview mirror, and I have all kinds of just sadnesses and griefs and losses and hurts and uh, shame-filled moments that I'm trying to overcome through the grace of God. But going forward, I want to do my best to make sure that I'm anchored in the responsibility of my family as a father, and that my legacy and your legacy will be our children talking about, we weren't perfect dads, but we were good dads. Third question I'd ask you. What does a man fight for? Where's the fight? Now, that question can be a little disturbing. I mean, I don't want to fight. Well, turn in your man card. Just turn in your man card. Because men are fighters. Uh, Not stupid fighters, hopefully. Not foolish fighters, as the Bible calls us, but wise fighters. What are you fighting for? not fighting with, I make a living on those who fight with, you know, I get paid to help people overcome conflict and quit fighting with each other and somehow change that energy into a paradigm of fighting for what are you fighting for? You know what the number one thing you need to fight for? Recovery, your own, your own recovery. You've got to start doing the work to get yourself in a place that you can care for your family. I mean, I, I realize that the implication of that question leads you to what am I fighting for? I'm fighting for my family. Well, you might need to hold off on that. And start to do the work. I've got a couple that I'm working with um, in Fairhope, and I said I, I, I will not see you any longer as a couple. It ain't working. You know, maybe you need a better therapist. But what I told them is I I will work with you, Bubba. We'll, we'll just call him Bubba. And I said Bubba, I said I. I'm a, I'm the kind of therapist that puts a little bit more weight on the man than I do the woman. You know, again, I was taught in graduate school that what we're always trying to do is trying to keep the balance in the counseling room. And we don't, you know, make one guy the bad guy and the other guy, the good guy. Uh, there's two shovels in the hole. But I always believe through a biblical model that the man's shovel is a little bit bigger. The man's shovel is a little bit bigger because I believe, generally, not, not always, but I believe if the man starts getting his act together and the man comes to Jesus and starts walking with God and gets into recovery and starts recovering the life that he was intended to have by God, designed to have by God, she'll come around. Generally. Not always true. Generally. You got to be focused on um, stopping the behavior that's causing the rupture in your family. Hello, my name is Phil, and I am whatever I am that's broken. And I need need to start working on that. Turn over to Genesis chapter 25. Let's dig in. Again, we're using um, Jacob. It's kind of our model, and I wanted it to, to kind of go back to some things that we hit a couple of weeks ago and hit them again. Jacob um, is a very broken man, and he started out in these family dynamics of being um, in conflict with his brother. So follow with me as we read uh, Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. This is the family tree of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethel, the Armenian of Petar Aram. She was the sister of Laban, the Armenian. Isaac prayed hard to God for his wife because she was barren. And God answered his prayer and Rebecca became pregnant, but the children tumbled and kicked inside her so much that she said, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? And she went to God to find out what was going on. And God told her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples butting heads while still in your body. One people will overpower the other and the older will serve the younger. You know, it's interesting hearing those words. What if when you stood at the altar the day you got married, um, that the pastor said, you know, your marriage is going to be like the birth of Jacob and Esau. It's like two nations are standing before me today, and they're going to be at war. What would you have done at that point? It, it's kind of like that. Sometimes getting married is kind of like the birth of, of two nations, Jacob and Esau. When her time to give birth came, sure enough, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out reddish, as if snugly wrapped in a hairy blanket. They named him Esau, and he went to Mississippi State and played tackle. His brother followed, his fist clutched tight to Esau's heel, and they named him Jacob, and he became a musician, and he played music forever. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. Sorry about that, Scott. I just had to throw that in. (laughs) The boys grew up. Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. And Jacob was a quiet man preferring life indoors among the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he loved his game. But Rebecca, mama, mama, mama loved Jacob. Smothers Brothers, remember those guys? Some of you old enough? Mama loved you best. I'll have to play a couple clips out of the old Smothers Brothers thing, you know. Mama loved you best. Mama loved you best. I think they were on the Ed Sullivan show one time, (laughs) wrong. One day Jacob was cooking a stew and Esau came in from the field starved. Esau said to Jacob. Give me some of that red stew. I'm starved. And that's how he came to be called Edom. They called him red. Jacob said, make me a trade. My stew for your rights is the firstborn. Esau said, I'm starving. What good is a birthright if I'm dead? I mean, that's amazing. He gave up his whole inheritance for a bowl of stew. What's the most stupid thing you've ever done? (laughs) Jacob said, first swear to me. And he did it. An oath Esau traded away his rights as the firstborn, and Jacob gave him bread and the stew of lentils, and he ate and drank, got up and left, and that's how Esau shrugged off his rights as the firstborn. He gave up so much. Jacob. Guys, family dynamics, favoritism, um, is part of sometimes what we have to... Um, overcome. And that's what I want to kind of highlight this morning is in part of your recovery, a lot of times what that's about is identifying how your family was broken. Now, in Jacob and Esau, it's pretty clear as we use that family as a case study uh, what was wrong. Uh, Jacob was a meshed, so we'd call a meshed. with mama, no doubt about it. It appears that uh, Esau had a stronger connection to Isaac, um, and that family was divided. It was family dynamics. A lot of times in any kind of a family, you, you've got uh, the, the family dynamics of the mamas and the daddies in the room at any time. Mom and dad, husband and wife may be having a discussion But in that room is not just two people. You know how many people's in that room? At least six, at least, maybe more, you know, her mama and daddy and his mama and daddy. And then the two of them, that's six. And a lot of times you are working with family dynamics, um, trying to build your own family. And that has to be addressed. The principles to learn is that in this journey, we want to finish well. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. I'll just read it off of the chart here. Jeff's got 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These are all warning markers, danger in our history books, in our, in, in our past generations written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. That could easily be written in a family systems counseling book. But that's scripture. Don't repeat the mistakes of previous generations and that's a lot of times the work that you have to do and i have to do we in order to finish well we've got to identify where our grandfathers and even sometimes our great-grandfathers and especially our fathers were broken and we get the responsibility of stopping that sinfulness and that kind of brokenness that's the work that we do to finish well. Stop the generational pattern. Model being a godly man. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3, 21. Colossians chapter 3. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, Do what your parents tell you. This delights the master to no end. Parents, and then this is key. Don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Fathers, fathers. How do you make a child angry? You know how you make a child angry? By disregarding the relationship with them. Sin separates As long as there's connection, there's hope. But what sin does is it breaks the relationship. What we as fathers are intended to do in parenting our children, whether they're 50 years old or five years old, is to stay connected to them. And when we're harsh with them, when we're rigid with them, or when we're passive with them, There's no connection. There's a void there. And then the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places, fills that hole. Looking for love in all the wrong places. So it's like if you're going to bring discipline or guidance to a son or a daughter, you've got to make sure there's a connection. You've got to be gentle, but firm you got to be a guide uh, rather than a dictator. Um, And that is what prevents anger. An angry child is oftentimes an abandoned child. An angry child is one who has never been validated or is suffering from validation deprivation. You can write that down. angry teenagers a lot of times are just teenagers that are looking for a connection and they'll find a connection but they need a connection with their dad that's the point i want to show you a a a clip out of this movie and and i hope that you will take the time to watch it. you can watch it on youtube you don't even have to (laughs) rent it or whatever it's it's on youtube the power of a father and i again i'm so grateful for jack to Uh, alerting me uh, to this. But I want to show you a clip of uh, Sherman Smith. It's about six minutes. I want you to listen, maybe jot down words, phrases that Sherman Smith, football coach, football player, has to say about fathering. Very powerful, the power of a father.
2: 76. I played seven years with the Seattle Seahawks. And then after that, that's when I got into my teaching and coaching career. I love coaching because of the relationships that you get to develop with the players. You get you get close with guys. If the mental part is what makes the difference. Doing the little stuff right. Because everybody's got physical talent. And and so they know who I am and what I'm all about and that they know that I care about them. They know that, man, I care about you. I want you to be successful. As the crowd settles in for Super Bowl 34, St. Louis against Tennessee. We went to a Super Bowl here in Tennessee. We were Houston Oilers. Then we moved to Tennessee. We became the Tennessee Titans. Into the end zone. I was hired by Pete Carroll. I got to go back to Seattle and spend seven years on his staff. Went to the playoffs six out of the seven years and two straight Super Bowls. I would always tell my players, If all you get from me is someone that teaches you how to run the inside zone, someone that teaches you how to run an option route, that's all you get from me, I said, man, you can get that from a video. But I said, I pray that I give you something, man, that will take you beyond this, something that will help you become a better man, a better husband, a better father one day. I want to make a difference in the lives of young people the way my father made a difference in my life. And I would look at each eye that way, like you are my son, and the way I would relate to him as a father would relate to a son, as my father related to me. My dad was my hero growing up. His presence in our life, how he saw more in us than what we saw in ourselves. Speaking to me as a black young man, not to hear the noise that I was hearing from other people. It was trying to tell us that you were limited in what you could do and where you can live and what you can be not only was that lie being sold to me by those outside of my community but there were people within my community that had bought that lie also and they were telling me going to college and all that other stuff you're just dreaming and my father wasn't buying it my father asked me the question he said what do you want to do when you graduate from high school and I had a plan, work in a steel mill, get a nice car and live in an apartment down the street. So he took me on a trip, got in the car and he said, I don't want you to say a word. So we drove down to that apartment complex, which was a public housing unit. He said, don't buy the lie that this is the only place where you can live. And then we drove down to that steel mill where My dad worked for 30-something years. And he said, don't buy the lie that this is the only place where you can work. Son, you're better than that. Don't buy the lie. You can do more than that right there. Hey, don't forget who your daddy is. Don't forget who you are. So my father at that point, he was letting me know my identity was supposed to impact my behavior. When I was in college, I had this desire to want to know God, but... I'm a visual learner, and so I was talking to people about Christianity. They were telling me what Jesus Christ could do for me. And I was looking at these people saying, "That look like he's making any difference in your life. You talk like I talk, think like I think, go where I go. Quarterback Sherman Smith takes the ball to the Marshall defense. And so one day, it was my senior year, right before the draft, I said, God, I, I just want to know if you're for real. I need somebody to show me. God responded and revealed himself to me. You know, uh, training camp started. And then this one guy walks in, big black guy, big old barrel chest, know, on the back of his shirt, it said, Hutch is going to Seattle to do God's battle. And I remember thinking to myself, oh no, man, here it is, I've come some 2,000 miles to run into another one of these so-called Christians. I'm watching Ken Hutcherson, and we're having a relationship because we talk and stuff, And but I'm watching his life. I'm checking him out, man, I'm gonna see what this guy's all about. There was something different about this guy. In our last preseason game, he gets hurt, blows his knee out. I take him off the field, and the word comes back down on the field that his career is over with. And he has ice packs on his knee, and he's got a smile on his face. And he just says, Sherm, sure. man, I'm excited. And I'm looking at him, okay. Man, I'm excited to see what God is planning for my life. And he said, "Sure, you see, I'm a Christian. And nothing happens in my life that's not filtered through God's hands first. He said, I'm excited to see what God is planning for my life. And right there, I'm asking, man, this has to be for real. You can't fake that right there. And right there in that room, I said, please, tell me more about Jesus Christ. He said, God loves you. He said, God love you so much that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. He said, not only, Sherman, did God love you so much. He said, the thing that has happened is, God says, he's going to save you one day from the penalty of sin. He's going to save you from the presence of sin. He said, but now God is going to save you from the power of sin. I said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Identity is the key to spiritual growth. You have to know who you are. My dad kind of laid the foundation for that thing. And then when Hutch came to me and they said, don't you know who you are? He was saying the same thing to me. Don't you know your identity is supposed to impact your behavior?
1: Mm. Amen. 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 So I want to challenge you this morning to be a man. I want to challenge you to help somebody else be a man. I want to challenge you this morning to understand what manhood means. And manhood means that you know who you are in Christ and that you're willing to even help somebody else. Don't believe the lie. As Sherman said, don't believe the lie that you're a nobody. Don't believe the lie that you can't reach your dreams. Don't believe the lie that because of your past, you have no future. Don't believe the lie that somehow God doesn't have his hand on your life. Don't believe the lie. And step up and be that someone that someone else needs. It's what Sherman Smith said I need someone to show me And big old Ken Hutchison walks in and showed him what a godly man looks like. How about you be that man? I want to challenge you that you commit to be even better at reflecting Jesus to another man, to your eight-year-old son or grandson. Pray for Steele that he'd be a better father to his two little boys. Pray for each other that you would be a reflection of godly manhood to another man. Will you take that challenge this morning? Manhood. Do you know what it means to be a man? We're trying to tease that out. We've been doing it for 14 years. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like a man. Be strong. And so much of what it means to be a man is to have received the blessing and that somebody would look you in the eyes, prayerfully, your father and say, you know, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And it may not be your father that you hear that from now. It might just be another man. I, I love what God's given us at Ebenezer Place because it is a place where men are given that blessing consistently. There's three parts of this idea of defining manhood. Number one are the ideals. And I would just say this, what do you believe? Just like what we started about over over here, what do you believe? I'd start, give, give yourself two or three blank pages in your journal and start writing down, what do you believe? so that one day, you know, when you get your shadow box and they're reading your journal, say, you know, this is what my daddy believed. This is what my daddy believed. What do you believe? Ideals. Ideals are about a vision. It's about what you want. Now, you may not be even what your ideals are, But without a vision, people perish. What are your ideals? What do you want? And that's what you're on the journey of life about, is to see those ideals, those values and beliefs beliefs embraced. What do you believe? Secondly is the journey. Man, I'm telling you, I just—I don't—I don't—I wish I was a better communicator. I'm—I don't—I'm not nearly as good a communicator as I wish I was because I wish somehow that I could get you and even me in a better place of understanding. You got to get started, and you got to walk through the pain. It's a journey. It's a process. It's called growth. In in seminary, we call it sanctification. We're not in seminaries. So we're not going to call it that. Okay. It's just a growth. Grow up. Quit being five year old, 50 year olds. You know, it's time to grow up and go through the journey of maturing. Attack your fears. Attack that which is uh, causing rupture in your relationships. Learn the skill of communicating well to your sons and your daughters. Write letters asking for forgiveness, acknowledging your failure.
2: Wow.
1: By the way, ADD moment. You got to go see Jesus' revolution. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Saw it last Friday. Coming out of the theater, Rome's blowing up my phone. You got to go see Jesus' revolution. Dude, I just saw it. You know, we're in a theater at the same time in two different places. But it's, but it's about Jesus breathing into the hearts and lives of hippies. I live that. I live that. I are one. But it's a journey. Finally, I would just close with this. We need ceremonies, guys. We don't have enough ceremonies You know what a ceremony is Um, in my life? Men's coaching weekend, AKA deer camp, sitting in a circle and experiencing the ceremony of men loving each other, developing community, lives being changed, laughter, tears, real life stories. It's a ceremony, is it not, Marshall? It really is, it's a ceremony. And men don't have those kind of ceremonies. Uh, In order to go through the path of manhood, you really do need to know what you believe. You're willing to walk the path. And you need ceremonies to where you're being validated and affirmed that you're on the path. Guys, the title of our lesson this morning, A Good Start Does Not Guarantee a Good Ending. I want to end strong don't you? I've challenged you this morning to take up a much more deliberate and intentional path of being a man. And part of being a man is not only being intentional and deliberate about your own growth, but helping somebody else. Jot down five names of men that you want to have an impact on. Younger men, older men even, but somehow that you would be praying for them, be involved in their life, validating them. Will you take up that challenge? Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you um, for the call to be a man. I thank you for your uh, numerous, numerous um, examples of broken men finding uh, life in you being restored, being in recovery, being redeemed. Um, And I thank you, Lord, that we have that available to us. May we embrace it in a way that brings honor to your name and healing to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week.